0: The year was um, 1987, and um, I was I was a, uh, a high school senior, and at the time, my niece, um, my sister and her daughter and husband came for just a short period of time to live with us and uh, with my parents, and um, it was just through a, a transition stage for them, and so they were in our home, and I, I'll never forget my little niece, she was like six or seven years old, and uh, so, and I, I never, like, I, I was a high school senior, so I was like, you know, hey, just don't touch my stuff, stay out of my room, uh, I got a few rules for you, and I, I gave her this, like, whole list of rules, like, things she couldn't do, like, no messing with my Mario uh, game, because back then you couldn't have, like, all these different profiles, it was only one profile, and it was my profile, and I was like, don't mess with Mario, whatever you do, and then I said, and then if I come down to watch like baseball or basketball or football, you can't watch Saved by the Bell any longer. It's time for, it's time for me to watch sports. It's, this is my TV. And I was, you know, I mean, honestly, you know, I'm just, there's a little bit of joking in that. And um, I set these rules out and uh, posted them by her door, not by mine, but by hers, because I wanted her to see them every day she woke up. And, um, and then, so I heard through the grapevine that she was back visiting with her, uh, her other grandparents over across from, uh, we lived in Grand Rapids at the time. She went to uh, the Detroit side to visit her other grandparents and they were like asking her, so how do you like living in Grand Rapids and in that house and, you know, going on and on. And, um, And, and she was like, she was just shaking her head like, yeah, it's okay. And then her comment was, they were like, it's gotta be a really cool house, huh? And she was like, it's got a lot of rules. It's got a lot of rules, and, um, and I heard about that, and I just went, I said, you'll never say that again to anybody. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that to her. I just, um, it was at that moment as I was reflecting on Hebrews 12 that, um, you know what, rules don't mean a restriction of freedom, and when they're clearly communicated, it actually means discovering the freedom that God has for you. So turn to your neighbor and say, there's a lot of rules, <laughs> and... It's a big one and you better stay with the person you've been talking to. Don't don't worry about the person you just ignore, but stay with them. And it means your freedom. There we go. So um So we're talking about Hebrews 12. Last week we talked about can't stop, won't stop, just the idea that there's reasons why typically we stop in life, but that we should not quit, that we should keep going and persevere and run the race that's set before us. And today I want to talk about a topic that's a little bit more of a it's, it might seem heavy for a moment I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to weigh anyone down But the reality of God's love for us And what that represents So let's turn to the scripture Turn to Hebrews chapter 12 If you're following online um, on the you version. It's there listed out for you If you've got your Bible or if you've got a digital Bible Turn to Hebrews chapter 12 And um, tell your neighbor We're talking today about discipline Yeah, everybody just get your toes ready To get stepped on just make sure you're ready. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4, in your struggle against sin, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, Let me read the whole passage, and then we'll go back and break it down. Verse 5, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Verse 6, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Verse 7, endure hardship as discipline that God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined... And this is a good underline or a circle spot in your scripture. And everyone, everybody say, everyone. everyone. And everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. You're not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, verse 9 we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Verse 12, therefore strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled but rather healed. A long passage of scripture talking about how God as our Father disciplines us. And a few things I want to break down. Freedom is not getting to do whatever you want, but the author of Hebrews chapter 12 is telling us freedom is found in discovering all that God has for us and following him every step of the way through the good and the bad and the ugly if necessary, but not giving up and keeping going. That's where you find your freedom. Now, let me just figure out who we're speaking to today. So this just, just honest, a, mo- a moment of honesty, I'm not going to look around, but just, um, it starts out by saying in your struggle with sin, in your struggle against sin, how many of you uh, will be honest and just say you struggle with sin? Just raise your hand. Good. Most of us, all of us, every single one of us. And if you're not, if you didn't raise your hand because you don't struggle with sin, you're struggling with two right there, pride and line. <laughs> I'm just going to set it right up there for you. Bring the prayer partners down, we can close out the service. We know who this sermon is for. He says, in your struggles against sin, I want to give you a couple of good good things. if you're struggling, that is a sign of life. A struggle is good news. don't look at it as it 's something terrible, but it is good news. It means there's life, there's life in you, and if you're struggling. I'm just going to tell you, it, it means that you're really you're making great progress because the enemy or those enemies that come against us, they will never come against anyone that's not making progress because if you're not making progress, then why stop you? But when you're making progress, the enemy wants to come to slow you down and take you out. I've never seen somebody sitting on the bench get tackled. Never. If you want to play football, you don't want to get tackled, sit the bench i had I played one year of, of football I was in eighth grade and i was I was the, one of the smaller kids on the team, but I was fast, but I was one of the smaller guys on the team and i 'll never forget the very first time I got the handoff to run a ball up the middle, and it went all into slow motion and My quarterback gave me the ball, and then the fullback was running in front of me to block and he- tur- I remember he turned around and i couldn 't tell what he was saying, but he was going run and I thought I was running but it all went into such slow motion until the biggest guy on the team came through the hole and hit me and I I just gave the ball back to the quarterback I went and told the coach I'll do anything I'll do anything but run the ball where do you want me yes I can kick (laughs) So, you just you got to know count it count it okay if you struggle. It's okay. Don't don't give up because there's a struggle. It's okay. The writer instructs us instructs us that maybe life isn't as bad as we think it is when we're going through a struggle. He says, "You may struggle against sin, but you've not you've not shed blood. You've not died yet. You've not you've not gone away to the cross yet." So it can't be too bad. Jesus Christ went all the way to the cross once and for all to redeem us of our sin, and we don't have to go that far. We just got to stand up and say, no. We got to stand up and say, I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to let this take me out. Jesus paid the price for us. There's other heroes you read through chapter 11 of Hebrews, and you'll find all of these men that for their great accomplishments, they had serious flaws in life, but they kept going, and their promise is hingent upon us finishing this race. So don't give up when there's a struggle. My, my pastor in Houston, we were driving down the road one day, and um, I was, I was kind of having a moment. I remember youth ministry... Youth ministry was really just dealing about guys liking girls, and then um, and then you know uh, the other one was kids staying out past their curfew. Those were about the only two things that I ever dealt with as a youth pastor. And here I'm pastoring a church, and it's like full-on floodgates open, and we're we're helping everybody through everything. And I was I was I'm driving down the road with him, and I'm like, you know, I was just I'm not sure about counseling. I'm not sure about any. He just looked, and I was telling him about a certain situation, and this was when we were in Houston. So, you don't have to think, oh, who is he talking about in here? Because it was somebody in Houston. So, just give you a break, just everybody take a deep breath. I'm not talking about you. And so I was telling him about it, and he was like, well, Chuck, what are you going to do about it? I, I said, I'm just really worried because I want this person to make it. And he said, um, show me your hands. And I went, okay. And I, I pointed like this, like this. He said, yeah, and now you look at him. I said, okay. And he's like, do you see nail scars? I said, like, no. He said, then it's, it's not, you know, you do what you can do. God will do the rest. You don't, you don't go to the cross for them. They're, they're going to have to stand up and follow, pick up a cross and follow Christ is what the scripture says. And so there's discipline in life. And, 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 and the writer is like, nobody enjoys discipline. I don't know if, I don't enjoy discipline. And I, I mean, it's not fun. It's not fun when nurse gets after me. <laughs> Just kidding. Let's let's talk for a little bit. Everybody say this. God is the perfect parent. Now, we're talking about this scripture in Hebrews chapter 12 and about discipline, and, and it seems right for us to just spend a moment here, and it's not this is not a message about parenting, but I want you to see how God is the perfect parent. The problem is when we talk about God the Father as our Father, some of us have a hard time relating to that in a positive way because of... Because of a past relationship. Because we live in a fallen world. And because we know on earth, if you're a parent, there's no perfect parent on earth. I mean, I think try to be close as I can't, but we're not perfect. We make mistakes. We fly off the handle sometimes. We, you know, the other day, uh, Ethan was headed to a band competition and he was like, I told him to get ready at 11. We had to be there at noon and get everything ready. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. And I say, okay, Ethan, it's time to go. And he comes up, he doesn't have his socks and shoes on. I'm like, what did, what did I say at 11? 45 minutes ago, what'd I say? He's like, "So said, get my socks and shoes on. I'm like, where are they? He's like, I forgot. I said, how do you forget? Your socks and shoes when you're going somewhere. I'm like, and then so I was like, we got to go. So we raced out the door. I dropped him off and I realized he's like got a three and a half hour bus ride to Champaign Urbana. And I'm like, you know, um, I didn't give him lunch. <laughs> he's got a three hour ride. And then a couple hours before he has dinner with the whole band. And I'm like, I'm starting to thinking I was upset at him because he didn't get his socks and shoes on. And because of the, me having a little moment of being upset, I forgot to give him lunch. So then I start feeling bad. And I'm like, oh, man, I got to take them lunch. And then I text Ursh, I was like, can you make them a lunch? I'll run it up there. And like, I just, I like, now I'm racing to the school to get them lunch because I got mad earlier. Like, there's no perfect parent. There's no perfect parent. But God is a perfect parent. And when we think about, when we think about in this fallen world the types of parenting we see, one is, I just want to tell you, God is not an abusive father. Now, maybe you have difficulty thinking of God as your father because you, you have a memory or maybe it was a part of your family relationship or someone close to you where you saw an abusive father in life who with his words and his actions and with, uh, with his own selfishness, he, he, uh, he put this uh, hard life on you. And I just want to tell you, it's not your fault. That's not your fault. There, there, you didn't choose that. That's not your fault, but I'm going to tell you where your earthly father left off, a heavenly father who is a perfect parent can pick up and fill those voids and heal those hurts. God is not an abusive father. The second thing is that God is not an absentee parent. Absentee. Now, abusive fathers for typically known for what they do to the child. The absentee father or parent is not known for what they do, but it's for what they don't do. And, and they're not around. They're not a part of life. They're not engaged. It's, 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 more, it's even it's another selfish way of, you know, this, like me with my niece, like this is my TV. This is these are my rules. You know this. And the, the idea is that absentee misses out on some of those moments. And I'm going to tell you, God is a perfect parent. He's not an absentee parent. The Bible says he will never leave you nor will he forsake you. There's nothing that will se- separate you from his love. Nothing. Nothing. You can't, you can't do something so wrong that the father moves himself away from you. When you do something wrong, you gotta know that God, that God our father is coming closer to us to wrap us in his arms. You can't scare God away with what you're doing. God is a faithful father. He's not an absentee parent. The... Um, I was thinking about this this week uh, in the, the third thing. God is not an overprotective parent, overprotective parent, because God allows us to go through things. And, um, you know, there are parents who are overprotective parents. They, their kid can't ride, ride a bike, can't ride a scooter, can't play football. Basically, they wrap him up in bubble wrap and put him in bed and just say, stay there. You're going to be Okay. If you stay in bed, and then they put pillows all around the bed in case they fall out of the bed. I don't know about you. I grew up um, in where in the in the house I grew up in. um, We I shared a room with my older sister for a little period of time until my my oldest sister and my brother went off to college and got married and all those great things. Then I finally got my own room. But for that time of sharing a room, I slept on the top bunk. Of, of, a, of a bunk bed. And my sister was on the bottom bunk. I was on the top bunk. And I'm just going to tell you, we didn't have that safety rail. And my mom wasn't like, oh, we'll just put it against the wall so there's one side you'll never fall out on. Because if you've ever had bunk beds, you know if there's a side against the wall, you can't make the bed. So my mom was like, it's going to smack in the middle of the room and I can make the bed and make it look good. And um, so I... I fell out of the bed every single night from the top bunk. That may be why I am like I am today. And I never fell on anything. There were no pillows around, no bubble wrap around. I fell on the stuff like the Avon colognes. You remember, it was like it was the fire truck, the automobile, the horse, and the bear. I fell on those every single night. But we got, you know, some parents are like, no, you can't, no, 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 no. You watch out for my baby, don't. And you know, like we... The the term in here, I'll just tell you a little story. Oak Park, my, my, my boys, Ethan did, and now Elliot does, go to Julian Middle School. And you don't have parent-teacher conference like normal. It's not like I go in and I talk to the teacher about how Elliot's doing in school. Elliot goes in with me, or really, I go in with Elliot, and Elliot talks to his advisor about how he's doing in school. The first time I did this, I was not prepared for this. And she's telling my son, like, you know you're, you're missing this work. And I, I wanted to speak out, but she wouldn't listen to me. She's like, we're teaching your son to advocate for himself. I'm like, well, I'm the father and I'm involved in this system and I'm going to advocate for my son. She's like, you need to be quiet, Mr. Colgrove. <laughs> and she turned her, she like turned her whole desk to talk to Elliot. I'm like, I'm right here. No overprotective parents. God is not an overprotective parent. Sometimes you'll know how much a father loves you by what he's willing, not to protect you from, but what he's willing to allow you to go through. Because it's when you go through stuff that you get stronger. It's when the breaking down that you find the building up. I I had this little occasion with my kids this week because I've been studying and praying about this sermon all week, and I was like, boys, we're at dinner, and they're all sitting there eating, And um, I'm like, guys, I got a question for you. What do you love that I do as your dad? And then I just sat back. I was like, come on, bring it, because I want to hear. This is going to be good. And um, they started saying stuff like, you make the best chicken. I was like, hoo-ha. And then uh, Elliot was like, you play football with me in the front yard, and you coach my baseball team. And they were like, you take us where we want to go. And Eli was like, you walk, or Evan was like, you walk us to school, and you, they were saying all these things. You let us get Legos, and they were saying all of these, all of these wonderful things. I was just having a moment, like my head was going, <laughs> and it occurred to me, not one of them of the four, you would think, you got, you got some kind of stat to build that out of the four of them, one of them would say, they like it when I discipline them. But not one said, we like it, and in our house, we spank. Okay, we don't use our hand. We have a I'm not doing that for clapping and it might not be your style or maybe it is your style. I'm just I got the microphone so I can tell you what we're doing. <laughs> when you get the mic next time maybe maybe you can tell us your way, but we don't we don't use our hand. We use a little um a little bit of natural wood. <laughs> and um we like to hit right on the fleshy part of the the bottom. That real, because it barely hurts. And Eli said, when I said, how come nobody said when I spank you? And Eli said, because it doesn't even hurt. I was like, I will make it hurt right now. <laughs> I almost flipped that table over. Jesus, turning the money changers table over right there. So they were telling me all these things. And not one of them said, you know, it's when you spank us. And uh, I was like, man, you know why? Because not, we don't like to be disciplined. And I'm going to tell you, as the father, I don't like disciplining. There's no joy in walking into the twins' room and saying, if you say it one more if you're, if you make one more noise before you go to sleep, I have to come back up here and use the spanking spoon. You might be like, well we, we believe in natural causes, I believe in natural causes. The natural causes, if you disobey, I'm coming up with a natural piece of wood on your natural little behind <laughs> but't as a, I don't really enjoy that, and like you know they're saying like. It, Son, this hurts me as much as it hurts you. Like, it does, it's not a physical pain, but there's a hurt in me when I have to discipline my kids. But I know if I don't discipline, then no one ever will. And that's the way God loves us. He loves us so much that he disciplines us. He corrects our steps. He edits our steps so that we can get back on path. And sometimes it's not, it's not good. It's always that, it's that little voice. It's that little, like, oh, man, I know... Shouldn't have done that. I'm going to tell you what, that's how much God loves you. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10 and 13, it says that um, he'll never put more on you than you can bear. He'll never put more on you. You'll never be tempted beyond what you can handle. And when you are tempted, God loves you so much that he'll let you go through it for a season, but there's always a way out. Man, that's something to be thankful for. That God doesn't leave you to the device to take you out, but he gives you a way out every single time. And I promise you, when you come out, you'll come out better if you learn your lesson. Amen? So what, what can we do? The last two things. Let me just tell you, discipline is not a sign of rejection. It is a sign of acceptance. Discipline is such that I see so much in you that I'm going to have to spend a little bit of time to correct what I see in you so that you can become all that you want to be. And that's what God's doing. He's like, God's got his hand on us, not because we're so bad, but because he sees so much good in us. And he's like, I got I to gotta get my hand on that person because I got such a plan for them, a plan of success, a plan for goodness, a plan for being a history maker. I got to get my hand on their life so they don't mess it up. So, I, um, we had a dog, or Sean and I, before we had kids, we had a dog, dogs. And um, our first dog was a boxer, her name was Bailey, and I thought it would be fun to teach her, you know, like she didn't, we didn't teach her how to like roll over or play dead or like go get the newspaper. I, I taught her this deal, it was just kind of fun to teach her, but I, I started to correct her by counting to three. One, two, three. and then if she was still doing something bad, she got a little paper you know, because dogs don't like the paper. It's not about the hit. It's about the noise in the paper. So I just, shh, bam. Just, it's a dog, y'all. Just relax, and it's not painful for her. But so it got so good that, like, she would be doing something bad, and I would say, watch this, y'all. One, Bailey one, Bailey two. And then usually, if I, I never had to get to three, she would, at two, she would stop and go sit down. I'd be like, I'm bad. I'm the dog whisperer. Before there was a dog whisper, one, two, three. But what happens when God counts to three in our life? What happens when God counts to three in our life? And there's a lot of things you can't control that come your way. But I'm going to tell you what you can control. It's how you respond. And the writer in Hebrews chapter 12 gives us the key to responding to God's discipline. The first thing he says is don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't overlook it. Don't, don't just, you know, pass it off or brush it off. Just do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Respond by listening to when God corrects you. A, a while back, the boys, um, they got in some trouble. And um, I made it aware to them that they would be grounded from their video games, which is like the ultimate punishment in life. Like you could, you could take food away. They'd be okay. Take, take their bed out of their room. They'll sleep on the floor. But take their video games and life is over. So we said, no more video games. And um, I, came, I was gone. I came home. And I heard this funny noise. And I said, that almost sounds like a video game. I said, certainly not. They know better. They're playing Sonic. Hedgehog, just going noise, going crazy. I, was, I walked downstairs. I said, what are you guys doing? Oh, we forgot. <laughs> it was Ethan. It was Elliot. It was him. He told me. He for, we forgot. I was like, I did, I'm going to tell y'all, I had a moment. <laughs> so You know that little switch as a parent when the hair stands up on the back of your neck? And you know, like the next five minutes are going to be regretful if you can't calm it down. I went to that moment. I was like, you give me that controller. And I put the controller in a bag and I said, I just ripped out the Xbox out of the wall of the power cord and I stuffed it in the bag. I said, I'm taking all of this. You're never getting it back. If you try to find it in the house, I'll go to every neighbor and I will burn their Xbox. I'll go to all your friends and I will burn their houses down. If you ever make light of my discipline again. Their eyes were like, it, I said, it was something like that. It was, it was something like that. It may not have been exactly like that, but their eyes were pretty big. And they were like, yes, sir. I said, now go get a book, like a book, like <laughs> discipline them with a book. I don't know. So don't make light. Don't, don't make light. When the Lord nudges you, impresses you checks you about something that you're about to do or you just did, just respond and say, oh, man, God, I'm sorry. I forgot. I'm sorry. I will not make light of your discipline, God. The second thing the writer tells us, he says, do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Don't lose heart. Don't be... Man, I'm going to tell you, the twins... It's like the Lord put the twins in my life to, to help me with patience. And... um. They sometimes they'll go right to sleep and sometimes they won't. And one night they weren't going to sleep, and I was up there, up and down so many times. It'd been like an hour and a half. Or Shauna was out of town. I was on my last nerve, and I went in there, and I was like, "That's it, guys. I told you if I came back up here, and I gave you three extra chances, and now I'm back up here again. And I got that little paddle, and they both were like, "No, no, it's like the end of the world." And just a little tap. So now it's time to go to bed. And they're both crying tears and just, you know, like their world is ending. And I'm about to shut the door. And little Eli goes, I love you, Dad. <laughs> Man, I turned the light back on. I went in and I crawled in bed with Eli. And I said, Evan, come join me. Let's just lay here together for a minute because I love you guys so much. Don't lose heart. When the Lord corrects you, don't like quit because the Lord's correcting you. He's correcting you because he loves you. He's correcting you because it means he's in his life. Our greatest fear is not that God's corrective hand would be in our life, but that he would take his hands completely off us and let us to our own devices. My God, we would be in trouble. David said it like this, if it had not been for the Lord on my side, where would I be? And David was one that was corrected again and again and again. Read his story. God loves you. He's correcting you because he loves you. John 5, 17, 18. Blessed is the man whom God corrects. For do not despise the discipline of the Almighty for he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also heal. Are you willing for the hand that corrects you to be also the hand that will heal you and bring you back to the spot that God has for your life?